Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. We've been doing a series on a letter in the New Testament. Uh, We call it the Book of Galatians, but it's really a letter to a group of churches that were in a part of what's known as Asia Minor, and that area was known as Galatia. And in that area in Galatia, Paul wrote a letter, and he wrote a letter to a, a group of churches who were struggling. This group of churches had a, initially been um, birthed into an exuberant faith. They were excited about Jesus. Their lives had been changed. They were, um, they were you know, forgiven, loved, included in the family of God. And then some false teachers had come into that region And these false teachers had begun to teach them that Jesus wasn't quite enough. They needed to go back and observe all the Old Testament laws if they wanted to follow Jesus right. They needed to make sure that they circumcised their male children on the eighth day. And they needed to make sure that they kept the feasts and they kept the Sabbaths. And that they continued to do what the Jewish people had done for a couple of thousand years. And Paul writes them and he's... He's almost angry. He's not quite angry, but he's very, very concerned for them because they're they're starting to reject Jesus and embrace the Old Testament law again. And so he writes this letter, and through the first, we're on chapter five now, but through the first four chapters, he just shows them over and over again. You can never be right with God by observing the rules, by keeping the rules, by doing good works. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be able to do it perfectly. You'll always fall short. You'll always fail. And because of that, you need forgiveness. You need grace. You need mercy. You need Jesus Christ's death upon a Roman cross. And that is enough. That's not only adequate, it's perfect. It's more than enough. Amen. So that's kind of the the background. And today's message is called Fight for Your Freedom in the Holy Spirit's Power. Fight for your freedom in the Holy Spirit's power. Now, before I get into the message, I want to share just some funny stories. I don't know about you, but I, I, I love kids, and I love the things kids say. And, uh, you know, we raised four children, and I just remember half the time I'd have to turn away because I would be on the edge of laughing at the things that they said and the things that they did. Well, here are some children and some great stuff. Uh, this, this guy says, um, I gave my son a timeout from swords, lightsabers, Guns and Thor hammers due to him being too violent and aggressive with other children. After about 10 minutes of quiet, I went to check on him and I found him building with his Legos. After I told him that I was proud of him for listening, I asked him what he was building. He told me he was building an ultimate Lego weapon so he could destroy me. I think he may have missed the point, but at least he's persistent. That is so, so typical, actually. Six-year-old Angie and her four-year-old brother, Joel, were sitting together in church. Joel was giggling, singing, talking out loud, just carrying on, and finally Angie had had enough. Big sister, right? And Angie turned around to him and said, you're, supposed, you're not supposed to talk out loud in church. And he said, why? Who's going to stop me? And Angie pointed to the back of the church and said, see those two men standing by the door? Those are hushers. (laughs) Exactly. Not usher. I told our ushers in the first service, they get a new title. Y'all are hushers now. 
Lastly, when a mother saw a thunderstorm forming in the mid-afternoon, she worried about her seven-year-old daughter who was walking home from school. It was about a three-block walk. And, and so she jumped in the car, and she started to drive down to meet her daughter. And she, she notices from a distance her daughter's walking down the street nonchalantly, stopping to smile whenever lightning flashed. Seeing her mother, the little girl ran up to her and explained very happily, all the way home, Mom, God's been taking my picture. (laughs) Oh, I love kids. I love kids. That has nothing to do with the message, but sometimes I feel like we need a little levity, right? So, you you know, last week we learned that we are not slaves, but we are adopted sons and daughters of God. We learn that we must not go back into slavery, but we have to claim our place as free sons and daughters. We also learn that to God, we are children of promise. We're the fulfillment of promises made over thousands of years, and that we have to fight to maintain our freedom in Christ. Today, we're going to learn that we have to fight continually to maintain that freedom And that that freedom will ultimately lead us to love and serve God and people. So when you fight for freedom in your relationship with God, the ultimate end of fighting for that freedom will be that you love God more, you love your neighbor more, and you serve people around you. That's where we're going today. So the first point is just a simple one. We have to fight to keep our freedom in Christ. When you become a follower of Jesus... A battle is at hand, okay? See, you may not realize it, but before you really follow Jesus, you're already kind of in the enemy's camp. You're under darkness. Darkness has its hold on you. But when you become a follower of Jesus, now you actually enter into the fray. And the battle's happening all around you. And the battle is coming coming after you. And a lot of times people don't realize that. There is a spiritual battle in our world. We have a number of adversaries out there. And when I talk about adversaries, I don't mean people. I mean spiritual presence, evil presence in the world, a system in the world, and even the, the, the desires, the cravings in our own body and our own mind that want us to rebel against God. Those things make war against our soul. And the scriptures teach that God has given us weapons and he's given us the ability to win. Amen? Not just to win, to win overwhelmingly. Amen. So I'm going to start with uh, this text of of Scripture, Galatians 5, 1 and 4. It'll be on the screen. I'm going to show it here in the New Living Translation. Notice what it says. It says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Verse 4, for if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. What? Wow. Think about that. So, so let's, let's look at this. Let's look at this text and break it down a bit. First of all, Galatians, again, was written to people who were in jeopardy of losing their freedom. All of us, if you're not careful as a Christian, all of us can slip into this and we can be in jeopardy of losing our freedom. Fallen human nature loves to earn or work for approval. The sinful nature has always tried to cover sin and pay for it with our own sacrifices and our own rule keeping. 
We have to fight for our freedom by trusting completely in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And we've been doing this ever since the very beginning. I mean, if you go back to Genesis, you go to the third chapter, you see the story there of what theologians call the fall. And when the fall happened, you might remember the story, right? A serpent and a woman and a man have an encounter. And this serpent deceives the woman and and the man, and they partake of this fruit they're not supposed to eat. By the way, it was not apples. It never says it was apples, so keep eating your apples and enjoy them. But an apple a day keeps the doctor away. I wish that was true, but keep eating your apples, okay? But you have this encounter, and Adam and Eve sin, and they fall. And the first thing that happens is they become aware of their nakedness. And the second thing that happens is they run and hide. They flee, and they hide among the trees of the garden, and the scripture says that they sewed together fig leaves. So they found a fig tree, and they took these fig leaves off the fig tree, they sewed them together, and they put them on their private parts, and they thought that that would be good enough to make them presentable before God. And that is what human beings have done since the dawn of time. The symbolism, the metaphor is powerful. We immediately, when we sin, we experience shame. We feel naked. Not physically, we feel naked in our soul. We feel unworthy to present ourselves to God, and we run and we hide. And then while we're hiding, we come up with our own plans to cover ourselves. You know, we start to say, man, well, if I just, if I just start to read my Bible more. Reading your Bible is good. But what happens is we immediately slip into this mode of self-covering. It's dead religion. It's man's way. We're going to do all that we can to make ourselves presentable before God. But, but first, we have to hide from him for a while and be ashamed of him. And so what happens? God shows up on the scene. He says, Adam, where are you? He doesn't say it because he doesn't know. He's pointing something out to Adam. He's letting Adam know, you fled from me and you're lost and you need me to find you now. So he says, Adam, where are you? And he says, I'm over here. Why? Well, you know, I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? Well, you know, did you partake of the tree I told you not to? Well, actually, the woman you gave me? And it's the oldest trick in the book, guys. It's her fault. She gave it to me. And then she's like, it's the serpent, the talking snake, right? And we see the blame shifting that goes on, and we see that... That part of human nature that always happens, and that is we try to make ourselves presentable to God in our own human efforts, and all of us put these fig leaves on, and this is what happens. And a lot of times you miss this because it's in the text, but it's kind of hidden there. The scripture says that God came to him, he spoke to them, he cursed the serpent, he told them what the consequences of their sin would be, and then he does something profound. The scripture says he clothed them in skins. And we we miss that a lot of times. What happened? God, right in the garden there, it looks as though God performed a sacrifice. And he engaged in the principle of substitution. He let them know, you can't cover your own sin. Fig, Fig leaves don't work. It takes a sacrifice. And he slays an animal. They watch for the first time. They see for the first time what death looks like. They watch the blood drain out of this animal. They watch it breathe its last. It goes limp. And then God skins the thing and puts those skins on them. And now they're covered with the sacrifice of another. And they see what happens when we sin. We need someone else to stand in there for us. We need somebody else to take our place. And when that happens, they can now stand before God. 
because he clothed them. He covered them. He sacrificed for them. But I'm telling you, most of us, we engage our whole life in sewing together fig leaves. We try to do all kinds of stuff to perform and dance and do the things so God will go, see, and we'll see God, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good girl. I don't cheat on my taxes. None of that stuff means anything. God says your self-righteousness is like filthy rags. I don't want anything to do with them. Is this making sense to anybody? Okay, so let's continue on. Then we see also that Galatians was written to people who were reverting back to trying to gain God's favor by keeping the law. I've done that so many times in my own life. I, I'll fail, I'll sin, I'll blow it, I'll feel really bad, I'll feel really ashamed, and there's a part of me that feels like I can't come right back to God right now. I, I, I have to feel bad longer, right? I, I need to feel bad for at least a couple days, and then I'm going to get up tomorrow morning extra early and read my Bible and pray. I'm going to show God I really mean it. I'm never going to do this again. A day later, I do it again, right? You know what I'm talking about. Come on, don't look at me like that. You're looking in a mirror. Amen. See, it was written to people who kept trying to gain, you know, the righteousness of God by their own works. And when we try to gain God's approval by keeping the rules and good works, we cut ourselves off. Think about the language there. We cut ourselves off from Christ and we fall from grace. What? That seems harsh. Why is that? When we try to gain God's approval by rule-keeping, by law-keeping, we actually cut ourselves off from Christ and we fall from grace. Why is that? Well, it's, it's, a, it's the normal consequence because this is what happens. We, in effect, say to God, Father, I know you gave Jesus, and I know Jesus' sacrifice was everything, but I just want you to know, in my eyes, it's not quite enough. And so, here, I'm going to show you how I am good enough for your love and your acceptance. And so we engage in trying to gain God's approval by our own works. And God goes, doesn't work. You're cutting yourself off from my grace right now. You're cutting yourself off. It's like, you know, almost as if you, you know, you had a lifeline and you're being pulled in and rescued and you reach out with your really sharp knife and you cut that thing. And then you wonder why you're drowning. And that's what we so often do. Okay, secondly, we have to fight to stay free with faith that works by love. With faith that works by love. Look at Galatians 5, 6 through 9. It says, For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. Now, let's not get too hung up on those two words. Let me just put it this way. Jewish children, Jewish boys, had to be circumcised on the eighth day after they were born in order to show that they were part of the covenant community of Israel. If a family didn't circumcise a boy then they would be considered cut off from the community. They took this really seriously. This was God's way of saying that all of the production of the seed, all the generations that follow, we're going to cut, cut this flesh away and make a sign in the flesh of a male child, setting this nation aside and saying that all the offspring that come through this nation have been set aside as holy unto me. And so when they didn't do it, it was considered to be a big, big deal. But now the Lord is saying through the new covenant and Jesus, because a lot of the world was beginning to come to Christ and most of them were not Jewish people, he's saying that's not necessary. You don't have to do that anymore. I want your hearts to be circumcised. 
I want your old life cut away and laid in the waters of baptism. I want you to understand that that old person died and now you have a new person. I cut it away on the cross and I'm done with that old person and now I've given you a new life in my son. That's the circumcision that God wants. He wants our inner hearts, our inner being. He wants that part of us that has claimed itself as being Lord to be cut away so that we might embrace him as Lord. Amen. Where was I? Okay, for when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for He is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. So He's telling Him, even just a little bit of that, it's up to me. It spreads through the whole dough, and before you know it, it's all up to you, and it's infecting your life. Does that make sense? See, again, faith alone in Jesus and His work makes and keeps us right with God. You ever notice that religion, and listen, I'm talking right here in our own midst, we have to be careful. We have to be careful that we don't cross the line and embrace a form of man-made religion that's powerless and puts people under bondage, right? I mean, think about, here's a funny little story, but the story was told some years ago of a pastor who found the roads blocked one Sunday morning when he was trying to go to church, and he was forced to skate, ice skate, on the river to get to church. So it was cold, it was winter, the river had frozen over. He was forced to skate on the river to get to church, and so he did. When he arrived, the elders of the church were horrified that their pastor had skated on the Lord's Day. After the service, they held a meeting where the pastor explained that it was either skate to church or not go at all. Finally, one elder asked him, but did you enjoy it? And the preacher answered, no. The board said, all right, it's okay. You see, that's religion right there. Joyless, steals from you. Any sense of I'm enjoying the good gifts of God, the goodness of God, I'm free in God. It's not about me, you know, keeping the Sabbath doesn't mean that I don't skate on the... See how ridiculous that is? But that's the kind of stuff that we do all the time. We are manufacturers of rule keeping. And by the way, there is a purpose for the laws, there is a purpose for the rules, and that's to train us up and teach us right from wrong until we come to faith in Christ. So it's not like the law is bad It's that the law is powerless to change us, but Christ changes us. See, faith expresses itself in love toward God and neighbor. Faith works by love. If you're sitting here today, and this is a good check to do, I found myself thinking about this last service, you're sitting here today and you ask yourself this question, um, or or this statement, uh, how is my faith? And if some of you, you find that your faith is weak, you're struggling. You feel like your faith is taking a hit. Right, here's a one question. This isn't true for everybody. Some people have just been through hell, and they're beat up, and they're tired, and they're weary, and God's restoring them. But, but some people, the reason that your faith isn't working is because it's not working by love. You see, faith without love is not true faith. Faith works by love. And so if you find that you're having a hard time loving people, loving your enemy, loving the world, 
If you're angry all the time, if you just find that everybody's an enemy in your eyes and you're just ticked off at everything and then you, real, and then you wonder why it seems like your faith is shaking, the reason your faith is shaking is because you're, you don't have love. And so the way to get your faith back is to get your love back. Does that make sense? Oh, got quiet in here. Number three, fight for your freedom by loving and serving others. So he makes the next step. Look at this in in Galatians 5, 13 through 15. Look what it says. For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. Wow. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. Paul says this, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. What's he saying? Whenever I'm with Jewish people, I adjust to their customs and I adjust to their cultures in order that I might share the gospel with them, right? I, I, I honor their, their culture, their customs. Secondly, he says, to those under, a, under the law, I became as one under the law, though not, my, not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, which is love that I might win those outside the law. Look at this. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. What the? Sorry. What the heck? Never show weakness. Paul did. He became weak to win the weak. What? Look at this. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So the first thing we read from Galatians and then the rest here in in 1 Corinthians is this. Freedom in Jesus is not an excuse to follow our sinful nature and passions. And this is where people get confused. Sometimes when people hear the message of grace, what they think grace means is, okay, God's given me grace, so that means no matter what I do, it's all good. So I can go live any way I want to. I can indulge my flesh any way I want to. But God understands I'm just human. He'll forgive me and I can keep living that way. That's not grace at all. That's by no means is that grace. In fact, Paul said when when he was questioned about that, God forbid that anybody think that's grace. That's not grace. That's license, licentiousness. And licentiousness leads to destruction. You see, so... We see this in our time. People throw out the word freedom. Right? We live in a time when freedom is so important. Even as Americans, you know, that's right at our roots, right? Freedom. But what we mean in this generation with freedom is I can do whatever I want to do. And, and on one hand, that's true. Go ahead. But understand this. When we give ourselves to our carnal desires and call it freedom, the consequences of those carnal desires will come back on us. So, grace never leads to sin. If what you're doing is sinning and calling it grace, that's not grace. Grace will never lead you to sin. But grace is there if you sin, right? And not only that, grace is the empowerment of God so that you might not sin. Y'all okay? Okay, I just want to be sure. You're looking at me kind of cross-eyed. 
See, freedom finds its truest expression in serving others in love. That's weird. It seems like a paradox. How can freedom lead to service? In God's kingdom, service is chosen because we love as Jesus loves. Service to others is liberating and satisfying. Service is joy-giving. See, the scripture teaches this. If you're free, you will serve. And in your serving, you will find freedom and joy and pleasure. Isn't that interesting? So don't use your freedom to indulge your carnality, your sinfulness, but use your freedom so that others can be benefited, right? And so the life of a follower of Jesus is free. We're so free that we get to love people. We're so free we get to serve people. We're so free we get to help others and benefit others. And in so doing, we find more freedom. It's a paradox. It seems like a contradiction. But in God, servanthood is freedom. Wow. You see, freedom finds its truest expression in the willingness to do whatever it takes to bring people to faith in Jesus. That's what Paul says. I'm so free that I'm going to lay my life down for you. Whatever your circumstances, wherever you're at in life, I'm going to try to enter into your world. I love this because Paul shows us a principle, and that is that we find in relationships with people, even people unlike us, even people that think differently than us, even people we might consider to be enemies, Paul says, I want you to enter into their world, not their sin, but I want you to enter into their world and be with them and learn them, love them, serve them, give yourself for them that they might be benefited, and in so doing, they may come to freedom. Amen? And this takes me to my last point, and I'm almost done, but not quite. So here, here it is. Fight against sin by letting the Holy Spirit lead you. Now, I have a long text of Scripture, but it's so important you see this with me. This is a powerful, powerful text of Scripture. So Galatians 5, 16 through 26, let's look at it together. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting against each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. You ever notice that? You go to make decisions, you go to do something righteous or holy, and you have a battle going on in your mind. You have this struggle going on inside you. This is the sinful nature and the Spirit indwelling you. When he says you're not free, he's not, he's not meaning you can't be free. He's saying that the conflict is always there. The tension is there. The battle is there, okay? So let's continue here. Uh, verse 18, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, Division, envy, drunkenness, cor- whoops, uh, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. By the way, if you are sitting there reading the list, you're like, oh, my stuff's not on there. Praise the Lord. When he says, and other sins like these, that covers it all, baby. Whatever it is. If you're not on the list, the other sins like these is, you know, and whatever else, okay? So, how many of you know? I, there was a time in my life I could probably do most of those in a day. 
right? I'm not proud of that at all. Thank you, Jesus, for delivering me. But... So then, then what, what does he say? So let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit, now listen, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to have these things coming forth in our life. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Wow. So we have this battle between the sinful nature and the spirit within, and that's a reality of life. And every one of us is going to face that battle. And some of us, there are going to be certain kinds of sin in our life that we battle with all the way to the day we breathe our last. And sometimes we'll experience seasons of victory, and other times we'll stumble and we'll trip up, but then we'll get right back up and we'll keep moving and we'll keep seeking God and we'll, we'll battle. Life will be full of that tension forever and ever. I've had some people say, no, the Bible teaches you can be completely holy and free and perfect. Well, maybe for five minutes. And maybe if you're really good for a day. But the reality is, is the tension's going to be there. The drawing is going to be there. The struggle's going to be there. But let me make this clear. This isn't some kind of yin and yang. This isn't some kind of half and half. The good and the evil counterbalancing internally. This isn't some kind of, you know, balance to the force mumbo-jumbo. Here's the reality. Yes, there is evil. There is that sinful nature. And yes, the Holy Spirit is in you. But let me say this. The Holy Spirit is way more powerful than your sinful nature. Greater, John says this in 1 John, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. There is a great one indwelling us. There is a powerful Holy Spirit giving us the ability to live the way God's created and designed us to live. And so that's what we spend our life learning about. and get, That's who we, we learn to get close to and let Him live out His life and express Himself through us. That's the Holy Spirit. And He's inside of the Christian, the person who's bowed their knee to Jesus and been forgiven and knows what it means to be born again. That person has that powerful Holy Spirit inside of them living out that life. Now listen, some Christians, what happens is we go backwards into that bondage, right? We slip, we backslide, we turn away for a season. And, and, and you know, addictions and sin habits and sin patterns get in us and their hooks get in us. And we find ourselves, oh no, I'm bound by that stuff again. But God is merciful and God is gracious. And if we begin to turn toward Him, it may be a battle. It may take time. It may be a great struggle. But God is with you. God is for you. You're beloved of the Lord. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. What have we been learning? It's not up to your performance to get Him to love you. His grace is sufficient. Just turn to Him over and over and over again. Fall at His, at his feet. <laughs> That's a hard word. Fall at His feet. Come to the cross again and again and know that He is adequate for you. He's enough. The blood of Jesus is enough for you. The cross is enough for you. When He hung there, He said, it is finished. What's He mean? That is adequate. It's all you'll ever need. Ah. 
Amen. And lastly, when we follow the Holy Spirit's leading, good fruit is produced and the sinful nature is overcome. Again, it might be a lifelong battle, but sinful nature is overcome. And you'll find yourself... Now listen, there are things right now in my life that I don't battle with like I did 20 years ago. That doesn't mean there aren't new things, but there are things that the Lord has given me grace in. And, and I'm not saying I couldn't go there if I stepped out of the grace of God. I could go right back into stuff. But as you walk with Him over time, He begins to give you victory over many things. And He's with you for life. Amen? If God before you, who can be against you? See, we are destined to win against sin. And if you're here today, I want to say this to you, Christian. If you're a follower of Jesus and you find yourself struggling and going back into stuff and, and you, know, you have a besetting sin in your life, there's a part of you that will hear this kind of a message. And this is where the condemner comes, the accuser comes. Well, see, that's not you, man. See, you, just, you keep losing. You keep losing that battle. I'm going to tell you something. That's the lie of the adversary. If you have to get up a thousand times a day, if you have to fall and get back up and fall and get back up, you keep getting back up. Because I'm going to tell you what, just, just the work of God's grace in your life in the falling and getting back up is building something. Don't go hide in the trees. Don't try to come up with fig, fig leaf religion. But go back to the cross over and over and let God put the sacrifice of His Son on your life again and again. And I'm telling you, in time, in time, you will win. And I don't care what it is, how dark it is, how discouraging it is. And here's the thing. Be secure in the love of God. It doesn't change his disposition towards you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. It's settled. <laughs>